In the 20th century, we saw the invention of the 24-hour news cycle. No matter the hour of the day, you could always find out what was going on. And in this century, we have gained access to live minute-by-minute updates. Not only can you know what's going on across the world this very moment, you can see what's going on with pictures and videos. So we didn't just hear about the destruction of the Notre Dame Cathedral. We saw video of it burning. We not only heard about the explosion in Beirut, we saw it on Facebook Live. We have, in our day and age, a constant awareness of who is in need, who is in pain, who needs help. Now, we might think that a constant awareness of these needs will actually help us have more compassion. So if men and women here in the U.S. know what's happening in Brazil, we can respond immediately with assistance. If Koreans know what's happening in the Congo, they can send money to address their urgent problems. But the problem is awareness, just mere awareness, doesn't always make us more generous. It sometimes makes us numb. If we're inundated with images and videos of worldwide suffering, if we're overwhelmed by the immense difficulty in our world, we can just get exhausted by everyone else's problems. We can't muster the energy to help. And now we have a phrase for this experience called compassion fatigue. You hear about a famine somewhere else and you feel compassion. You hear about war and you feel compassion. You hear about starvation and you feel compassion. And if you feel that over and over and over and over again, you just don't have enough bandwidth to keep caring. Even if you tried to care about 1% of the world's problems, your hearts would end up spread thin. We end up feeling bad for everyone, but doing little for anyone. We just feel less capable of making any real change. So the question for us as Christians is how do we care again? If we care about everyone's problems and we're always aware of those problems, we can be spread thin. So how do we care again and again and again? The passage that was just read today is from 2 Corinthians. This is a letter that an early Christian leader named Paul wrote to a church he started. And though he didn't have the phrase, he might have realized that this church was experiencing something like compassion fatigue. Because he had already written to them before, and he told them that Christians in Jerusalem, a city far away from them and out of sight and out of mind, those Christians were suffering. They had experienced drought. They had experienced famine. They were heavily taxed by their Roman officials. And to top it all off, con converts to Christianity were shunned socially and economically. So Paul goes to Corinth, and he goes with a goal to ask them for help. And when he first told them, they were excited. They were compassionate. They wanted to give, and they did. They started out with initial, an initial gift. But a very long year went by, and there were logistical difficulties, and Paul could tell their passion had waned. And he's in this awkward place of asking them to care again. 
So he decides to tell them this story of generosity to kind of kickstart their passion again. He says, brothers, this is to the church in Corinth, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. This is another church. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. He says, I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. uh, Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They exceeded our expectations. So Paul is writing to Christians in Corinth to get fired up again about this need. So he tells them about the generosity of other Christians. And it may seem at first like Paul is trying to like set up this competition between the two, but I don't think he's doing that. He's not trying to shame them. He says, this is an opportunity to show your love for the church in Jerusalem, just like these other Christians showed love. He writes with total sincerity, you excel in so many things, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, complete earnestness. I just want you to excel in one more area, the grace of giving. This is your chance to show again. You already did it before, but I want you to show again your generosity. But here's the thing. Paul doesn't solely want them to rely on or give because of other inspiring stories. He wants them to give because they have received. He says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, we don't see Paul's word choice in our English versions, but you can see this word grace highlighted up at the top. That word, that Greek word, is charis. It's where we get the word charismatic and charisma, and the simplest translation of it is gift. You know the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the gift of Jesus, Paul says, and he has given generously to you, an absurdly generous way. Even though he was rich, he became poor. And on the one hand, that's obviously true because Jesus was a nobody. He was born in Nazareth, in nowhere. He was not born in a palace. He wasn't born with rich parents. He was a carpenter by trade, and he told his disciples that he had no place to lay his head. But he was also poor in the sense of his status. He was rejected by men. He was betrayed by his disciples. He was falsely accused of crimes he didn't commit. He was constantly serving others and even then rejected and hated by them. His divine status means that he is worthy of worship, but he became poor and shunned and dejected, not for himself, but for every single person in this room and for all of our needs. This is the message that's consistent throughout the New Testament. There's over and over and over again, we read that in Christ, we see this incredible surprise, this reversal. Even though he's God's son, he became a son of humans so that we could be adopted sons and daughters of God. Even though he is in very nature God, as Paul says in Philippians 2, he took the very nature of a servant. 
Paul says in this letter earlier on, God made him who had no sin, who is perfect, who is completely whole, without failure, to be sin for us. Over and over and over again, we read this great surprise, this wonderful reversal of our expectations that God became one of us so that we could be with him. So Paul is saying, because Christ did that for you, church in Corinth, that means you are rich. Not necessarily rich with money, but rich in spiritual blessings because of Jesus. And so Paul says, if that's true, if Christ has already been generous to you, this is what I think you should do. Finish the work you already started. Last year, you gave all of this money, and we just want, I just want you to give more. Finish the work. And if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what you have. Don't measure it according to what you don't have. Give according to what you have. Paul says, our desire is not that others would be relieved so that you would be hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. In other words, Paul tells them, give to the poor because you're already rich in Christ. You've received the Holy Spirit. You've been forgiven of your sins. You've become a part of the church family with brothers and sisters. You are starting from a place of spiritual abundance, which means that if you have material abundance, it only makes sense to give to those who are in need. He puts it so well at the end of the chapter. He says, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Paul thinks that generosity is driven toward and directed towards real needs. And this is a consistent theme across the Old and New Testaments. In Deuteronomy 15, God says, there should be no poor people among you, no needy people among you. And in Acts chapter 4, we're told that in the church, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy persons among them. Wherever, see, wherever Christians see need, that's where our generosity goes. And right now, it just so happens for Paul that the Christians in Corinth have some money. And the Christians in Jerusalem don't. And at some point in the future, the tables could turn. It could be different. The Christians in Jerusalem could be rich, and the Christians in Corinth could be poor. But right now, he says, at the present time, your plenty can supply what they need. That's the beauty of the church all over the world. Right now, you've got a lot. You've received abundantly from Christ. And because you have more, help them because they need more. Today, we are going to collect a special offering for all God's children. Uh, as a part of Cornucopia, we typically pick a ministry we love and we give money to that. And uh, we were thinking this year about what we could give to, and we just saw so many needs for our homeless brothers and sisters 
in Austin. Whenever it becomes winter, maybe like six months from now, I thought it would already be here, but it isn't. Whenever winter comes, there are a lot of needs for our homeless brothers and sisters. Um, and, And because we have an opportunity right now to prepare them for that, we can help. But one of the things that has really challenged me with working with All God's Children is that Steve Brothers, one of our longtime members, keeps reminding me that All God's Children is not a feed. It's not just a place for people to come get food. It's not just a charity or a nonprofit organization either. He reminds me every single week that All God's Children is a church. It is a fellowship of Christians. Each week, Steve says to anybody who's there, this is not a feed. You will get food for the stomach, but you'll also get food for the soul. And each one of our kind of longtime All God's Children members, the ones who keep coming back every week, do not do it for the food. They do it for the community. They do it because it's a church. And because we can recognize that group as a church that meets here on Wednesday nights, we can recognize all of the spiritual blessings they have given us. Just to give one example, every single week we have kind of our All God's Children anthem, uh, which is a hymn called Because He Lives. And the chorus begins, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. The idea is very simple. Just because Jesus died and rose again from the dead, because he defeated death, we as Christians can face tomorrow's challenges. And I sing that song, and I love that song, but the honest truth is that I think if I plan enough, I can face tomorrow. I mean, I don't want to say that out loud. That's not what preachers are supposed to say. But I have basically believed all of my life that based on how much money I have, because I'm a good planner, because I can think hard about the future, I can face tomorrow by my own power. The challenges of tomorrow are not too hard for Mitch East. And then I started going to All God's Children, and I started learning from them about real challenges. The real challenges they face to get health care, to be fairly treated, to find and keep and maintain shelter, to not be sure every single day if you can protect your belongings or if they'll be stolen from you. For all of your possessions to be in your backpack, those are real challenges I have never had to face. And if I had listened to them, to this church that meets on Wednesday nights, I may have handled 2020 a little bit better. Because I'm only realizing now just how much they could have showed me that life is not in our control. This year has probably made it abundantly clear to all, despite all the plans we make, despite all the uh, uh, obstacles that we may plan to overcome, We cannot face all of tomorrow's challenges on our own. And we have to admit, at least I do, that most of my trust resides in my wealth, my intellect, my education, my foresight, and my planning, not on Christ's death and resurrection. But they do. Each and every day, 
They believe that because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And that's just one, one spiritual blessing from that church. I mean, we could bring up a long line of people who have been spiritually blessed by the church of all God's children. Ben Stewart could tell you about seeing new meanings in the hymns that we sing every single Sunday because he leads them for all God's children. Laura Kate could share with you about getting to know and having connections with the women of all God's children. The Allsups could tell you about the deep knowledge of the Bible they see. I mean, Ace comes up to me after every single Bible study, and he says, they know more about the Bible than any of us. Jay Haley could tell you about the constant challenges they face and the endurance and uh, work ethic that it takes to go from homelessness to maintaining a home. We cannot add up, we cannot quantify the spiritual blessings of all God's children for this church. Every single week, they ask me about my father-in-law who had cancer last year. They continue to check up on me and to check up on him. They have blessed University Avenue Church of Christ. And if that's true, if they have spiritually blessed us, it only makes sense for us to bless them. Because just as Paul writes, at the present time, your plenty can supply what they need. Now, not all of us here in this room or watching online are in a time of plenty. But some of us are, which means that now, at the present time, is the time to supply what the church of all God's children needs. Right now, we're going to have a time of offering. This is distinct from the offering that we'll take for just kind of the general ministry of the church. And if you want... If you have that willingness, we'd like to call upon you to give to this wonderful Wednesday night church. You can go to Church Center. That's one of the uh, ways you can go online and do that. It includes an option in the drop-down menu for the Cornucopia 2020 Fund. If you have checks, you can write in the note uh, that uh, you'd like to give to All God's Children or Cornucopia. If you have Venmo, you can indicate it there. But one of the things that's so incredible about the end of this chapter is that Paul, he actually quotes an Old Testament verse. He says, as it is written, the one who gathered much didn't have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. He's actually referencing back to the Exodus. When the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt, everything seemed to be going well, and then they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And on the way, they had to totally rely on God providing manna, daily bread for them. And every day, the right amount fell for each family, regardless of size. The big families would get more manna, and the small families would get less. But it was all based on need. The one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. Paul's point is... There was neither scarcity nor luxury. God's providence, his generosity, was based on need. And he quotes that to say to the church in Corinth, the Jerusalem church needs right now, 
They have greater needs than you. So the goal of generosity is not to impress Paul or outdo the Macedonians who are generous. The goal is equality, to give from the abundance that Christ has given us. And the same goal is true for us today, to share from the overwhelming generosity of Christ, to share with our brothers and sisters and all God's children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for all the many blessings you've given us. We cannot count them. We can only acknowledge them. You've given us Christ. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us forgiveness of sins. You've given us much more than we could ask or imagine. And so many of those spiritual blessings have come through our brothers and sisters at All God's Children. And so we'd ask that at this time you would challenge us. You would give us the willingness to share, to give what we have from our plenty to supply what they need. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.